We are going to begin again today by reading God's word. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five is where I'd like to direct your attention. We're going to start reading in verse 15, as we did last week, Ephesians five, verses 15 through 33. So you can find. Spit in it. No, I can't spit in it. I, uh, I drank a lot of water this morning, but. Not enough. Okay. Thank you. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in the pews ahead of you, and I'll remind you, as I often do, if you don't have one, take one with you this morning from the pew. They're for you. Uh, we don't want you to leave if you don't have a copy of God's Word, so take it with you this morning if you need. For now, though, let's read. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Hear what God's Word says. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, nevertheless, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I would like to speak to you today about the topic of wives and submission in marriage. And I do so knowing that this is both a controversial and a difficult subject. It's controversial because this is one of the pieces of evidence that people raise to argue, erringly, I believe, that Christianity demeans women, that it suppresses women, that it is uh, uh, patriarchal and misogynistic, and that Christianity is bad because of this. So it's, it's controversial. It's a difficult topic because submission has often been used as a cover for what really is just abuse and not these biblical virtues and picture that Paul is painting here for us. Uh, it's controversial and it's difficult. I, I want to start, though, with what I hope will be a clear and gracious uh, statement. Our goal today is to find out what God's Word, what the Bible says about wives and submission. And 
as an unfolding the message of the Bible as God's Word, we receive it as the authoritative Word of God. As Christians, our commitment is, is to the idea that the 66 books of the Old and New Testament is the supreme standard for our lives and for our practice. And we receive it as it comes. We receive what it says. We're not embarrassed by what God says. If the Scripture speaks about it, we without fear declare it to be true and we encourage one another to do what it says. We don't excuse God's Word. We don't defend God's Word. We don't deny God's Word or change God's Word. We, as best we can, obey God's Word. We do so not only because the author of this book is the Supreme Lord and the Creator of the universe, we do so because He is good. And we believe that everything written in this book is for our good. It's life-producing. It's satisfying. It, It makes us fruitful people. It brings fullness and life. Uh, in a context where Jesus was speaking about how people hear his voice, he said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, abundant life, life to the full. And, And we listen to his voice. We listen to his voice like sheep listening to a shepherd. We see God's goodness in how He planned marriage to remind us of the Gospel, the core message of the Bible about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Recently, Kathy's cousin went on a trip to the Arctic. It was a cruise, but it wasn't like a cruise cruise. It was a, uh, it was a hearty cruise. Uh, they went to the Arctic and to some unusual places and some more... Uh, 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 undeveloped rural, not rural, that's not even right the word, wild places. And while they were there, he took pictures and he sent us a few. Uh, uh, Kathy's cousin is a fine photographer and he sent us one picture and about in the middle of the picture you could see the shoreline rising into some majestic mountains. In the bottom half of the picture there was this, I don't know, a bay, a lake, part of the ocean somehow, I'm not sure. But that morning that he took the picture, this body of water was as smooth as you could see. It was uh, like glass, as the expression goes. And you know what you could see in that, that bay, that lake. You could see those mountains reflected and, and the clouds and the sky, almost a perfect image in the bottom half of that picture. You all have seen photographs like that. Some of you have it as your desktop on your computer, your wallpaper, right? You've seen pictures like that. By God's design, marriage is supposed to work like that picture. Your marriage is here to reflect on earth the heavenly gospel. The beautiful, glorious story of the gospel is to be reflected in your relationship with your spouse. Your marriage is not, I imagine, as smooth as glass. There are ripples in it, aren't there? Um, Maybe some tempestuous moments of white water in your marriage. Uh, that distort this gospel picture. But, but this is what marriage does. This is what marriage is supposed to do. And Paul writes these words that he does, as controversial and as difficult as they are, he writes them for your good, to bless you, to provide for you, to give you life. Some of you have perhaps heard of the author Liz Curtis Higgs. Liz Curtis Higgs has written a number of books, I think 30 or so, and she she travels and speaks sometimes with women of faith. And uh, Liz Curtis Higgs 
Um, one of her first book was called Bad Girls of the Bible. I didn't read it. I don't know. But anyway, um, she wrote this, this book. She tells, I like the story of how Liz Curtis Higgs became a follower of Christ. When she was a young adult, she was a radio disc jockey, and she was crude and rude and vulgar. Her goal was to make Howard Stern, the shock jock, look tame. She was just, she would paint the air blue, as the saying goes, with her words when she was on the radio. She had a friend who was a follower of Christ. Uh, she knew Liz, and she knew about her, and she was a friend of hers. Uh, Liz, also, about this time, had gone through a number of relationships, and in part due to that, and in part due to other things that she believed, Liz was a militant feminist. But her friend was a Christian, and her friend said to her, Liz, come to church, come to church, I mean, you should come to church. Finally, to get her off her back, Liz Curtis Higgs agreed to go to church. She walked into church, and guess what the text was for that day? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is not the text that you want to start sharing the gospel with a militant feminist. It's not the strategy that I would adapt. I'm sure her friend, sitting down, you maybe have had this experience. You invite your friend to church, and your friend always complains about giving, and I open up the Bible and say, we're going to talk about money today. And you go, oh... Liz, Curtis Haig's friend, I'm sure on the inside, was just falling apart. Well, Liz uh, sat there and she listened to the, the pastor speak and uh, he talked about uh, husbands in this passage loving their wives and, as, uh, sacrificially. And after the service, Liz and her friend sat down to talk and, and, and Liz, uh, she said to Liz, what did you think of the service? Liz said, I would gladly follow the lead of a man who would give his life for me. And her friend said to her, but you are loved that way. Jesus Christ does love you that way. He did give himself for you. And soon thereafter, Liz became a follower of Jesus Christ. The gospel's a good message. And as part of God's good plan, it's part of God's good plan for it to manifest itself in your marriage. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, to proceed, what I want to do is I want to, want to uh, move in five broad topics. I want to think about this subject, uh, submission, under five different headings. Uh, there's going to be some overlap. We're going to double back a little bit a couple of times. Uh, but in, in order for you to really understand this passage, here are five things, five moves that I want to make this morning. And the first one is we're going to talk about the, uh, an, I want to give you an over, overview of the text. I want to orient you to this text of Scripture. Um, we did this a couple of weeks ago, but let's, uh, let, let's review here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul turns his attention to, to application, and he hangs his thoughts all the way through chapters 4, 5, and 6 on the word walk or live. In chapter 4, verse 1, he wants us to walk in unity. In 4, verse 17, he wants us to walk in holiness. In 5, verse 1, he wants us to walk in love. In 5, verse 8, he wants us to walk in the light. And in 5, verse 15, he says, I want you to, as an expression of your faithfulness to Christ, I want you to walk in wisdom. And walking in wisdom is very closely related to being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit and wisdom go together in the book of Ephesians. And he says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, and here's what the filling of the Spirit will look like in your life. Here are the four ways that it will manifest itself. It will, he will show up, his filling will show up in speaking to one another with psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, which is why we sing, why it's so important. Always giving thanks to God the Father. 
And number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how you know you are filled with the Spirit to the extent that those four things show up in your life. And then from verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, he talks about three different sets of relationships. Three relationships where submission shows up in a particular way. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and then slaves and masters. And for each set, he offers first an instruction to those who submit, to the wives, the children, to the slaves. And then he offers instructions to those in authority in that situation, in those relationships, husbands, uh, parents, and masters. This section of scripture is what Martin Luther called the house table. Um, scattered throughout his letters, Paul devotes paragraphs to specific people and specific relationships, demonstrating to them how the presence of the Spirit and how the power of the gospel uh, changes how you act as a husband or as a wife or as a parent or as a child or as a slave, as a master. See, the gospel penetrates deeply into your life at every stage, at every level. And to understand, I think, this morning's submission properly, I want you to see in context, as I orient you to it, that, that the submission that I'm talking about is a manifestation of the power of the Spirit, a manifestation of the Spirit's presence. This is for spiritual people. Now, that's the first direction I want to move, quickly orienting you to the text. I want to move now into something that I've called, if you see on your notes there, that sheet that's in your bulletin, looking for loopholes. <laughs> uh, the great challenge in this text of the Bible, I think, is not understanding what the text says. I think the text is pretty clear. We can understand what it says without a great amount of difficulty. There's maybe a couple minor details, but the text itself is pretty clear. The hard part is not in understanding it. The hard part is in obeying it, accepting it. In recent days, more and more people, uh, influenced, I think, by a number of factors, have sought to, um, uh, to um, minimize the full force of these words. Uh, in many cases, they are godly men and women who love Jesus Christ and love the church. They are brothers and sisters. But frankly, I think they're just wrong. And I'm going to describe some of their explanations of these texts, two of them in particular. I'm describing them as loopholes. Loopholes is not a complimentary term. It's not, a, it's not, a, a, um, it's not always a, a positive term. But I, I think it describes these alternative interpretations. So let me, let me mention uh, two of them. Some people say that they think that Paul is writing here under cultural or contextual constraint cultural or contextual constraint. Now, here, here's what I mean here by this. They believe that the Bible, the ultimate message about the Bible, the ultimate thing that the gospel does for human beings is it makes us all completely equal in role and in, uh, in our working. Galatians 3.28 is the, patron, the, the most important verse to those who want to say that, that minimize what Paul says in Ephesians 5. In Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female. And they say that the gospel, to be fully lived out, means that there's no role distinction between husbands and wives or between men and women in the church. That's what the gospel is supposed to do, they say. Um, all the hierarchy that's in the Bible that you can find is a result of the fall. It has nothing to do with creation. It was not good, God's good design. And the gospel brings us to full, absolute equality in all realms. They, they argue that. 
Then they say sometimes, but because that Roman and Greek culture was so chauvinistic and so male dominated, Paul couldn't write uh, or chose not to write as strongly as he really believed in passages like Ephesians 5 because he didn't want to make the Christians stand out too much. He didn't want to make them be too radical. He didn't want, he, he didn't want them to be persecuted because of the equality that they believed in um, and thus make them even more an object of Roman persecution. You, you follow me here? Paul's holding back a little bit for the sake of the culture or the context in which he was dealing the problem with that idea is that, that Paul never held back, did he? Paul never felt the need to shield himself or shield the Christians from believing countercultural things. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he said, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul was not concerned about getting the Christians to conform to the Romans and the Greeks so that, so that they wouldn't be persecuted. Paul says, you're supposed to be radically different than they are. He, he was not constrained by, by the culture. Another reason that I know he wasn't constrained by the culture or the context is because when Paul talks about the relationship between men and women, he appeals to things like the gospel and creation and the Trinity, and they all supersede context and culture. I don't think that that will stand. Another loophole that people sometimes find here is the concept of mutual submission. Mutual submission. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another. And because the text says, Submit to one another, there should be, so the argument goes, no sense of authority in this passage. Women submit in some ways, husbands submit in others, but all submit. And one of the emphasis here is on equality of role. Now, if you want to argue that husbands and wives have equal dignity and value before God, and that they should stand before one another in humility, and husbands and wives both have the responsibility to speak insightfully, creatively, correctively into one another's lives, then I agree with you. I think that's, that's true. That's right and biblical. You're describing in that instance how the gospel encourages husbands and wives to stand before one another. Uh, we affirm that. In fact, uh, sometimes... In our elders' meetings, we haven't done this in a while, but when we're talking about a particularly thorny issue related to interpersonal relationships, sometimes the elders will look at one another and say, we've talked about this a long time, we're not making progress, let's postpone any further discussion, go home and ask your wives what they think, what opinion they have, and then we'll get their insight, because we, we need it. If that's what you mean by mutual submission, I, I think that's good and right and biblical, but if you mean by mutual submission to eliminate any sense of authority in this text, that will not work. It will not work because of the word submit. Now, let me give you a dictionary definition of the word submit. I'm going to flesh this out when we move in our third direction. But let me just give you a basic definition, direct, dec, bleh, dictionary definition of the word submit. Uh, the word submit occurs in the New Testament several times, and it means to subordinate or to subject, or to stand under. The noun form of the word means uh, obedience. There's authority. You can't remove authority from this word. In fact, this might help you think about it even more. The root of this word here, submission, is the Greek word taxis, 
from which we get our English word taxonomy. Taxonomy. Some of you remember this from biology class a long time ago. Uh, taxonomy is, is, is the study of the classification of living things, putting them in, in their right categories based on their characteristics. You can put them into kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. You, you do all that work of classifying. And when you do taxonomy, the animals are not interchangeable. You can't put a plant in the animal kingdom. You have, there's a place for it to go. Um, Submission means to take your place in the order that God has designed. We're going to do more definition work. I know we need to do that. But submission does not allow for mutuality. You also can see that clearly in the context. Um, If you say there is no authority implied in this text between husbands and wives, then does that follow through to parents and children? Sometimes husbands are in charge, sometimes wives are in charge, sometimes parents are in charge, sometimes children are in charge. So I say to my kids, you want to play with matches today? That's a great idea. Let's go ahead and do that. You be in charge today. Mm. That's not what Paul means here. There is authority in this text. So, uh, now we're at the point here where we have to move forward into actually defining submission in the text. And that's the next direction that I want to take. We're going to look at two different phrases, submission words, submission and headship, and how they're defined in, in this text, how they work out in marriage. So, let, let's define them together. We're going to talk first about submission. Most generally in the Bible, submission means doing the will of someone else. It's a great basic definition. Doing the will of someone else. You do the will of the person you submit to. Sometimes in the Bible, the way the word submission is used, it's good. You, You welcome that person's will and you follow it gladly. Sometimes you don't. Most generally, there's this idea, though, of doing someone else's will. And I want to look at a couple different verses to illustrate how this word submission is used. Um... First, you have these written down, I think these verses even on your sheet, don't you? All things submit to God, the Bible says. Everything submits to God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, a few verses here. There's actually two different ways submission is used. Then the end will come, the text says, when he hands over Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, made subject to him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be in submission, will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that Christ may be all in all. These verses tell us everything submits to God. And secondly, it tells us that Christ submits to God. Now, one form of this submission to God is um, forced. Christ destroys death. He conquers death. He overcomes death. Death is the enemy that is destroyed. There's submission. Forced. The other type of submission, Christ to God, is glad submission. The Son of God gladly submits to the Father. In fact, um, Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians uh, earlier, when husbands and wives, both husbands and wives are called to follow Jesus' example. In Ephesians 5, husbands are called to follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love. In 1 Corinthians 11, wives are called to follow Jesus' example of submission. 
So, uh, as Tim Keller says, both of you play the Jesus role in your marriage. James 4, 7 says that believers submit to God. Romans 13, 1 says that we submit to government. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Believers submit to church leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. Except for the day when everything is going to submit to Christ whether they want to or not because He is the conquering Lord of the universe. Uh, Whether they gladly receive His Lordship or not, except for that use of the word submission, the rest of these examples, the way the Bible uses the word submission, refers to them as voluntary acts. In other words, Paul is appealing to wives in the congregation and he's saying to them as free moral agents... Uh, I am asking you to submit to the authority of someone else as a sign of spiritual maturity. And here is where I could define submission in marriage. I'm going to stretch out that definition a little bit. Submission is placing yourself under the God-given authority of your husband. Submission is placing yourself under the God-given authority of your husband. Now, you do this in obedience to God's Word. Notice here in the text, your husband is not commanded to make you submit. There's a difference. Wouldn't this text be different if Paul had said, now, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. Get them under control. The text would have been vastly different. Instead, Paul says, wives, you as free moral agents choose under God as, a, as an expression of your uh, filling with the Spirit, as an expression of the Gospel in your life, voluntarily place yourself under the God-given authority of your husband. Uh, do you know what the most popular event that was televised in the year 2011 was? Last year. Uh, some of you watched this. Some of you got up early in the morning to watch the nuptials of Prince William and Kate Middleton. Uh, it, was, it was quite a display of pageantry. Two billion people watched on television live during that wedding. That would make you nervous as a bride, I would think. Now, one of the questions that newspapers were asking before the big day was whether or not Kate Middleton would promise to obey her husband. This is a tradition in the Church of England for hundreds of years. To, uh, love, honor, and obey. Would she say obey? Uh, William's mother, Diana, Princess Diana, did not say obey in her uh, um, wedding vows, but his aunt, Sarah Ferguson, when she married Prince Andrew, did. (laughs) She said obey, and then she smirked. Uh, Both of those marriages ended disastrously. I'm not sure there's a moral lesson in the words that you use in your wedding vows But understand that whether or not you use the word obey, when you get married, you are placing yourself under the authority of your husband. I wonder if you thought about that when your beloved proposed to you. When he got down on one knee, or when he reached across his hand, across the table, or whatever he did. I'm not sure what you were thinking at at that moment. But that question, will you marry me, is full of a promise, isn't it? All sorts of things. Companionship, children, security, partnership, intimacy. But whether either one of you realized it or not, because this is what marriage is, he was asking you to follow him. It's not very romantic. Is it? It's much more romantic to say, 
Will you make me the happiest man on earth and become my bride? That's romantic. It's not romantic to say, will you follow me wherever I go, whatever I do? Will you submit to my authority? That's not very romantic. But that's what marriage is. If you're not married, this should, this should shape how you think about marriage and why you would want to get married and who you would want to marry and why. Now, the reason given for why a wife should submit to her husband is in verse 23, and all it very simply says is, the husband is the head of the wife. The word head almost always it has, includes the idea of authority, but in Ephesians, it's a different type of authority. The word, authority, the word head in Ephesians means authority with blessing. Authority with blessing. Here's the goodness of God's plan. A wife places herself under her husband's authority so that she might be the object of his provision and blessing. That's what Paul has in mind in Ephesians 5. This will be clear, I think, as we move in the the next direction that I want to think about here. I want to consider with you submission and headship illustrated in this text. Submission is placing yourself under the God-given authority of your husband. Here he, he, he illustrates it now. Submit, Paul says in verse 23, uh, for the head is the head of the wife, for, excuse me, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Here's the illustration, Christ and the church. Now, that begs the question, how does the church submit to Christ? That's a good question. I'm really glad you asked that. And it says how in Ephesians. We can look in Ephesians to find that out. Look with me at Ephesians verses 5, 17. How does the church submit to Christ? Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. One of the ways that the church submits to Christ is by understanding His will. Do you know what your husband's will is? Do you know what he really wants? Some of you, I know, at this point in time, you are battling the temptation to stop listening and just be cynical. Because I say, do you know what your husband wants? And you think to yourself, yeah, he wants a cold drink, he wants the NFL season to last forever, and he wants sex all the time. That's what he wants, I know. Follow me here. Keep going. Don't don't stop. Well, look at Ephesians 5.10. And find out what pleases the Lord. This is how the church submits to Christ. By finding out what pleases the Lord. And the implication, then, do it. This is how the church submits to Christ. And this is how wives submit to their husbands. Find out what pleases Him and do it. And according to verse 24, there's no areas where this is limited. Look at the end of verse 24. We'll we'll start at the beginning. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. There's no sphere in which a wife says to her husband, you can go this far and no further. I've given you all these areas and I'm going to submit to your authority and all these things, but not here. This is the one place that you don't have any say. That's not allowed by the text. Does Does that make you uncomfortable? Well, let's keep going here. Um, There is actually more in Ephesians about this. Listen to what Andrew Lincoln, who wrote a fine commentary in Ephesians, says. This is a good paragraph. If one asks what the writer thinks is involved in the church's subordination to Christ, I'm asking, one can look for an answer to the way in which he depicts the church's relation to Christ in the rest of the letter. Great. 
The church receives God's good gift of Christ as head over all on its behalf. In the building imagery of 220, the church looks to Christ as the crowning stone of its structure and the one who holds it all together. It opens itself to the church, to Christ, the church, excuse me, the church opens itself to Christ's constant presence and comes to know His all-encompassing love. The church receives His gift of grace and His gifts of ministry for its own upbuilding. Julia read that passage from Ephesians 4. It grows toward its head and receives from Him all that is necessary for such growth, including teaching from Him. The church imitates Christ's love and tried to learn what is pleasing to Him and to understand His will. It sings praises to Him and lives in fear of Him. The church's subordination then means looking to its head for His beneficial rule, living by His norms, experiencing His presence and love, receiving from Him gifts that will enable in growth to maturity, and responding to Him in gratitude and awe. It is such attitudes that the wife is being encouraged to develop in relation to her husband. That's a great sentence. Let me read this again. This, uh, listen, this is how you characterize your relationship with your husband. Looking to him for his beneficial rule, living by his norms, experiencing his presence and love, receiving from him gifts that will enable growth to maturity, and responding to him in gratitude and awe. Now, notice here in this passage that this quote here, as he summarizes Ephesians, Paul is talking here about this combination of receiving and responding. Receiving from your husband and responding to your husband. That, that would be a good way to, to describe submission too, I think, if you wanted to. Submission is an act of receiving and responding. Does that trouble you? Actually, uh, receiving and responding are two words that we could use to describe the gospel, couldn't we? This is how marriage lives out the gospel. Many people are confused by what it means to be a Christian and what our actions as being a Christian mean. What do we mean when we say get baptized or believe or go to church or serve or pray or give? Some people mistakenly believe that if we do these things then we might get God's attention and He might be willing to then give us grace. That if we do these good things, God might say, oh, wow, there's a good person, I'll give them kindness and forgive them. Some people mistakenly believe that. In fact, the, the Bible says, though, that, that your good works, the things that you do, they're, they're not impressive to God. In fact, they're, they're soiled and stained, these good things. If you think that submission is an offensive message in the Bible... Uh, I think you're offended far too easily because the Bible says a lot more offensive things than this. In fact, the Bible says it tells you that you are so stained and corrupted by sin that it affects every part of you. You are totally depraved. You're not as bad as you could be, but the corruption extends everywhere in you and you cannot clean yourself up good enough to get God's approval. We are just objects of His righteous wrath. I think that's more offensive than the, the Bible's call to submit. So the message of the, of the gospel is that we can receive forgiveness and life through what Jesus Christ has done. He lived a perfect life. He died the death we deserve. He rose again from the dead. And we respond to Him. We respond, first of all, by trusting in Him, in what He did, by turning to Him and setting Him as the object of our hope. And we respond by living out this dependence in our daily choices. And this is how a marriage reflects the gospel. A husband who gives 
and a wife who receives and responds. Uh, marriage models it. Now, if you're a husband and you were here this morning, when I was reading those verses in Ephesians 5, you might have been thinking, yeah, bring it on, man. Understand my will. Do what pleases me. This is, this is getting better all the time. But you read the rest of, of the book of Ephesians, uh, and, and, and you might not feel that way about your headship after, after that. Headship means giving and giving and giving and giving, blessing, 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 and a wife submits by responding to that. Some of your wives, you may think about your wife and you might think, she's not very good at this. Maybe it's because you haven't given her anything substantive to submit to. Uh, you know that in order for a kite to fly, it has to have a breeze. In order for a kite to, to soar into the air, there's got to be wind. It makes no sense to go outside and yell at a kite for not flying if the wind isn't blowing. And it doesn't make any sense to yell at a wife for not submitting if her husband isn't blowing the breezes of godly headship to set her soaring into the air. Uh, that, that's true, and we're actually going to talk about that next week more, but uh, ladies, I, I should point out to you that Paul does not make your submission dependent upon his leadership. He does not say, Paul does not say, submit to your husband if he's a good leader. He, that's not what Paul says. Paul does not say submit only if he is being a good head. That, that's, that's not in the text. And some of you, because of what Paul says here, he is setting you up for a, a, a life of one of where your greatest frustrations is trying to catch a breeze that's just not there. You're trying to submit. You, you want to. You're looking for it. And there's no puff of air anywhere in your house. Uh, have you ever, if you tried to fly a kite on a day where there's no wind, I've done that. It's very hard. It's frustrating takes a tremendous amount of energy and it takes a tremendous amount of energy to submit to a, a husband's leadership that's just not there but paul says keep at it because this is the way you reflect the gospel now there's uh, one more thing that i, I want to say about this comparison between the christ and the church before we move on to our last direction this morning Notice that in this letter here the church's response to her lord is not meant to be weak or silent, or whimpering. When Christians talk about headship and submission, the last thing they have in mind is to create weak women. In fact, the response of the church, if it's our model in the book of Ephesians, the response of the church is strong, it's robust. In Ephesians 6.10, it's military, standing strong, fighting, putting on armor. The gospel is not portrayed well by weak, spineless, helpless, simpering women. What I'm trying to say is, is that wives should use all of their gifts, all of the gifts that God has given them, in response to the leadership of their husband. However God made you, however He made you, use those abilities, and you may shudder to hear me say this, use your responsibilities to make your husband look really good. What? Ephesians 5.33. The last verse says, well, I'll start in the beginning. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must reverence, it's a better translation, reverence her husband. Andrew Lincoln, and that quote says, 
she holds him in gratitude and awe. Now hear the word reverence. (laughs) Reverence. Well, the reason you reverence your husband is because he is leading in a way that uh, he has committed himself to Jesus Christ and you love to honor someone who commits his life to Jesus Christ. And use every gift you have, not as a weak, whimpering, silent, spineless woman, but with every gift that God has given you to honor the person you have committed yourself to who himself is following hard after Jesus Christ. That's how Paul wants to illustrate submission and headship. And I know that what I've said so far has raised all kinds of questions, and I want to answer some of them by talking here lastly about submission in your context. Submission in your context. I have two things in mind here. One is less important than the other, much less. First, I want you to see here that the passage has no rules There are no specific rules here in this passage. Uh, When we think about roles for men and women, we tend to think in terms of jobs and rules. Men uh, mow the lawn, fix the car, paint the house. Women cook and clean. if, If you think that that's all that's involved here in headship and submission, that's far short of what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't give us rules. Use your gifts. Use them the best way that you can. Work things out in your family so they make sense. There's no rules. If Paul had given us rules, we would follow the rules and think that we had done all that Paul commands instead of the actual hard work of submission and headship, which is hard. Uh, That's one of the things that I mean by headship and submission in your context, or submission in your context. But I have something else more important to say about this. There is a great danger, I'm afraid, that you will hear me say something this morning that I am not saying. That you may be tempted to hear me say that submission and headship create an atmosphere where abuse is okay. And that is not at all what I am saying. So the context of Ephesians 5 is, Paul here is describing two people, both of whom are believers, who are striving by God's grace to live this out. Paul is describing in this context two believers who are maturing, who are spirit-filled. Neither of them are going to get this perfectly, but in a marriage where this is true, there's beauty and glory in what Paul describes in Ephesians 5. But there are many ungodly, insecure, immature men who use Ephesians 5 not as a gift to bless their wives, but as a uh, club to hurt them. John Piper wrote about a man whose idea of uh, submission meant that his wife had to ask his permission before he moved from one room to the other in the house. Uh, Brian Chappell, in one of his uh, books, uh, writes about a a man he counseled who he would come home from work and his wife was particularly harried after a long day or something had gone wrong at home. She would say to him, would you please be willing to help me with I don't know, uh, cooking some pasta for dinner, something. Would you, would you mind uh, playing with the baby for a few minutes so we can move on? And, and this husband, his idea of headship was that he would toss a coin and heads he would help her, tails he wouldn't. And by doing that, it, this would be his expression of headship because he would have made up his mind, or at least the coin, would have made up his mind about what it means to lead and not her. He wouldn't be following her lead. That's foolish. If I was his wife, I would have given him a two-headed nickel, right? (laughs) 
Uh, there, there are examples of mental and emotional abuse. Our church has known abuse like this. We are not free in our own congregation from marriages where physical abuse happens. A few years ago, Christianity Today did, a, did an intensive study of battered Christian women. Two-thirds of those women believe that it is their Christian responsibility to endure their husband's violence and that in so doing they would express, be expressing their commitment to God and their husbands. Fifty-five percent of those battered Christian women said that their husbands told them that if they would only be more submissive, then the violence would stop. That is a manipulative lie. One-third of those women believe their husbands... Uh, uh, believed their husbands who said that the submission was the key to fixing the problems in their marriage. Ephesians 5 does not say anything about what a wife should do who is being beaten. It does not say, it only talks about husbands who love. But a wife who is being abused should call the police and have him arrested. She should press charges. Biblical faithfulness does not manifest itself by allowing the one to whom you are to submit to continue in unrepentant sin. I speak for the elders of our church. We will help you. We will care for you if you are in this situation. You should not remain in that situation. What your husband is doing is not godly leadership. It's not righteousness. You are not submitting to him. It is ungodly, it is unbiblical, and it needs to stop. And we will help you as best we can. Now, I, I know uh, that our time together is gone, uh, but, the, but the Bible here does address what a wife should do when her situation is not like what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. If you wanted to, if we had time, we would look in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 is about a wife who lives in a situation with a husband who's not a follower of Christ. There are some different and specific... Submission is still important there, um, but uh, it speaks of influencing your husband through your godly life. A wife who's a Christian doesn't follow her husband into sin. One of your challenges in life, I think, will be to affirm your husband's leadership without participating in his sin. John Piper suggests you say, I appreciate it and I love it when you lead, but I cannot participate with you in this. Can we talk about it some more? Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears it down. The Bible isn't talking about your literal house, but about your life your financial stability, your security, the welfare of your children, the joy of your marriage, you will tear it down, your life down, through criticism, through control, through ignorance, through manipulation, but you can build it through submission, through receiving and responding. And that's the sort of marriage that will reflect the Gospel. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, you have set a high standard for us in your word. You, you have, have uh, called us to <laughs> the hard things. If, if, if uh, uh, some of the feminists knew how strictly and how specifically your word speaks, they would be even more enraged than they are at times. Father, we come before you and I pray for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake, 
for His glory in the world and His the, the rightness of His name that you would make gospel-centered marriages in our churches. We, we've thought specifically about wives this morning. I pray for the women in our church and I am grateful to you for the strong women that are in our congregation who are with with joy attempting to live out what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Father, I come before you to speak to you about them because they will not uh, receive affirmation from Red Book or from Cosmopolitan or from uh, Oprah or from anywhere else. Outside these walls, they will not receive affirmation for that. God, I pray that you would uh, make us a church that that honors and loves and, and cherishes women like this. Cultivate them in our congregation and enable them to flourish in our church. Uh, Father, I pray that you would enable them to battle the temptation with uh, cynicism and uh, with uh, judgmentalism. Help, help them to overcome this battle that, that, that you said would be ours from Genesis 3, this effort to control and manipulate and dominate. Father, I pray this morning for uh, women in our church who are under the authority of not uh, godly men, but under the authority of abusers and insecure and immature men. God, I pray that you would grant them courage. We pray that you would provide them with protection. We, we pray that you would give them a door out, that they would see it and that they would, would, would take that opportunity. And God, we pray that you would enable us as a congregation to, for Christ's sake, uh, protect those who are being abused by the one who should be their chief protector. Again, Father, we want gospel-centered marriages. We want marriages that reflect well the glory of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and the the privilege that is ours in responding with with, uh, faith and confidence. Make that true, Father, we pray for every husband and wife in this room, we ask. And together, God's people said, Amen.